Behind the Bite podcast is part of a network of podcasts that are good for the world. Check out podcasts like the Full of Shift podcast, After the First Marriage podcast, and Eating Recovery Academy over at practiceofthepractice.com backslash network. Welcome to Behind the Bite podcast. This podcast is about the real life struggles women face with food, body image, and weight. We're here to help heal, inspire, and create better, healthier lives. Welcome. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. I'm excited today to talk about a topic that, um, you know, it's related to some topics I've uh, had on here before in terms of exercise, and I've definitely talked to other nutritionists and dietitians, but I haven't specifically talked about running. And this is a near and dear uh, to me topic because my experience with my own eating disorder uh, really was related a lot to uh, running to, I guess, it's to purge. Um, and uh, I used running as an excuse oftentimes to get out of uh, social events. I used it as my eating disorder, my way of compensating for a lot of the food I ate, or if I didn't run, I wouldn't allow myself to eat. And I didn't really realize at the time that that was all part of my eating disorder. I just thought I was being quote unquote healthy. Um, And people gave me a lot of positive feedback at the time. They said, you know, you're so healthy. You're such an athlete. You're all this. And um, it wasn't until I looked back and it was in treatment that I realized that that was really disordered and it was all part of my eating disorder. And so I'm really excited to bring on our guest today. Um, she's going to talk more about how you can know if you're sitting out there wondering, Hey, am I engaging in an exercise or am I running? And it's crossed the line over into something that's not just running for running sake and to have a good time and, and to uh, supplement my life in a positive way. So that being said, uh, Heather Kaplan, she is a weight inclusive dietitian and entrepreneur. She's worked with athletes for most of her career and is an endurance runner herself. Heather co-founded Lane 9 Project, which is a community of support and awareness for disordered eating and running. Her work has been featured in the Washington Post, Runner's World, Outside Magazine, and the Today Show. All right. Well, Heather, welcome to the show. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. So um, I'm just curious. Uh, I know I'll give a brief introduction about you. They're always so, you know, short and um, descriptive about, you know, your professional life. But yeah. just wondering for people listening, um, how you got to this place in your life and if you're willing to share anything about like your journey to get here with the audience. Sure. Yeah, I know. I always have a hard time writing those because I'm like, this tells you like such a small slice of my actual whole being. Um, so parts of the thing or some of the things you don't hear in a bio, I have three kids. I'm a parent and um, I run for fun. <laughs> I think that's an important qualifier. Um, and I own a few businesses. So um identify a little more as an entrepreneur than I do as a practitioner at this point. But um, I studied nutrition in college, and that was largely fueled by some disordered eating patterns at the time. And I thought like, oh, I can study this. And oh, like my whole 
world can be nutrition. How exciting. <laughs> um, and that led into getting my RD certification. So I have my undergrad degree in nutrition. I went to Penn State, loved it, had a great time. Um, and then went into the DC area for my dietetic internship. And um, that was largely a good experience, but I did sort of grapple with the fact that a lot of the disordered eating behaviors that I at that point had started recognizing as like quite unhealthy seem to be really similar to the things that our training suggested that we tell other people to do a lot of times. And that like those two things felt hard for me to hold at the same time. Um, so I kind of, I don't know, I had sort of a tough time navigating the first few years of my career, trying to find a place that felt values aligned for me. And like, I could practice in the way that it felt really helpful to people. I started in public health. And then I went into um, corporate wellness, which I loved both of those jobs. They had, you know, lots of great people that I worked with. And I liked the work that I got to do in those spaces. Um, and then I ended up at a startup in 2015, um, where I was like, really kind of questioning, like, do I stay in this profession? Or do I try to do something else? Do I like career change? You know, like, what's the next step? And at the startup, I was actually able to work with a lot of dietitians who are practicing non-diet nutrition. Um, I learned about the intuitive eating books and I learned about weight inclusive care. And I, my interest was definitely peaked and I felt really um, rejuvenated to find a community of RDs that were practicing in a different way. And um, that kind of led into some of the businesses that I've opened um, I've had a private practice. As I was mentioning just earlier, I had a podcast for five years. Um, and I also ended up meeting some folks outside of the nutrition space when I was in DC um, that had some similar experiences with disordered eating and sports and running in particular. And so we kind of got to chatting and went on a few runs together and decided to try to do something together. We weren't really sure what that was going to look like, but ultimately came up with the idea to just have a supportive online community where people could share their own stories with their experiences with disordered eating, in some cases, eating disorders and running and other sports. And that became the Lane 9 Project, which is part of the work that I still do now. Awesome. So kind of have your hands in a lot of things. And, yes. <laughs> you know, as interesting as you were talking, I've heard, I've had some um, other dietitians and nutritionists on here say the same exact thing, like, mm. you know, what got them interested in that was kind of their own issues with food and their own disordered eating and kind of like, yeah. oh, I'm going to figure it all out myself, right? Get better yeah. at it or, you know, um, yeah. it's a pretty common. Um, but I'm actually curious when you said like, you were struggling with how to hold um, some of the things you're encouraged to tell people you're working with um, some of the things that you felt like were kind of in line with eating disorders or disordered eating. Yeah. It, I guess in comparison to later on when you got introduced to more intuitive eating and different kinds of um, I guess more quote unquote healthier ways to be with food. Um, yeah what were some of those things? Cause somebody listening might be, I get asked a lot, like, oh, how do I know if I'm doing disordered eating or how do I know if what I'm doing is online in line with an eating disorder? Um, yeah. so what were some of those things that you were struggling with? Yeah. Yeah. And it is hard. Cause I think eating disorders for better or worse have very clinical definitions and diagnostic criteria 
Whereas disordered eating is quite a bit more of a gray area and not as well defined depending on, I guess, the context and who you're talking to. But for me, it was a lot of, at least in my training and in my first few job experiences, like the suggestions and kind of the quote unquote best practices were to have people journal their food and log it or use apps all the time and, you know, calorie count and cut this out and cut that out and watch what you're eating and read menus beforehand. And I think with any list of behaviors, you could certainly say these could be quote unquote healthy and they could be quote unquote unhealthy, right? Like there's so much nuance in any of those things that I just mentioned, and they might be helpful in various contexts. Like I can definitely see instances where um, somebody is maybe newly diagnosed with diabetes and learning how to manage carb intake and count their carbs and, you know, manage that with their insulin, et cetera. I'm not a diabetes educator, so you can tell I'm like, oh yeah, I think I remember these things from my training. Um, And in that case, like food journaling or like a lot of mindfulness around what they're eating and awareness of what they're eating is super helpful, if not like actually very important, right? Or even an athlete who is maybe under fueling and doesn't doesn't know how much their body might need during a training season or during a long run or during a game or something like that. Like, again, all of those things certainly have a place and can be helpful, but I think as a blanket statement that these things are healthy for people. I just felt like that's not true for everyone, Mm -hmm. you know, and, um, nutrition counseling and nutrition education are often two different things. If you're doing nutrition counseling, you're often getting a lot of really specialized individual care and you get to know a person and what's going to be really helpful for them and how they might respond to different sets of behaviors or habits versus nutrition education, which again, like our training is that we were educated on these things was it's a lot more general. It's like, well, we see in the research that if people do this, that, and the other thing, they're quote unquote healthier. But then when you put that into practice with individuals, it gets a little messy. (laughs) Um, So I think for the work that I was doing specifically, again, a lot of my um, I was in public health for a year and then I spent a lot more time in corporate wellness. And a lot of that was clients who went to biometric screenings at their workplace. So they're kind of subjected to like healthcare at work, which can be a little bit tricky. And so they're getting their cholesterol checked and their blood pressure checked and their triglycerides checked. And then they're talking to a health educator for 15 minutes. And like, what can we really provide in 15 minutes, right? Like Mm -hmm. that's a very short amount of time and they just got a lot of information. And so it felt more aligned for me to treat those 15 minutes as like, what questions do you have about this information? Not like, let me go through this list and tell you what's wrong and what's bad. And then like five ways to fix it that are incredibly general and may not even apply to your preferences, your history, your culture, your, your lifestyle, et cetera. Um, so yeah, I struggled with a little bit of the generalizations and kind of like taking what a lot of people assume to be healthy behaviors that can actually, in some cases, be very disordered. It's so interesting. And I love your approach of like, not telling people like what's wrong and then boom, here, just do this. (laughs) Like nobody feels good when you do that. (laughs) It's not helpful. Yeah. 
Right. And I think that's a lot of the reason, at least what I hear, people don't want to go to see providers is because they're afraid of just that experience. Like, here's what's wrong. Here's what you're doing wrong. And here's just some cookie cutter approach of like what you need to do, which oftentimes, to your point, doesn't work with somebody's lifestyle or it doesn't sit right with them or they're not going to be able to do it or want to do it. It just doesn't quote unquote work, right? It's not helpful at all. Yeah. And there's a lot of assumption built into the approach where you jump to education or you jump to tips, right? Like, oh, wait, let me back up a little bit. What are you doing right now that feels helpful and good for you? What are some things you've tried in the past that worked or didn't work for you? And when you think of what worked, what does that mean? And if it didn't work, what does that mean? Like, what about it didn't work or what about it didn't feel helpful or, you know, health promoting for you? And you don't have time to do that in 15 minutes. So, um, and I mean, that was my experience in public health. Like we had 10 to 15 minutes with people and it's just like, there's so little that you can do in that amount of time. So my approach was often just to check in with somebody first and see like, what can I do in this time that would feel helpful to you? Or like in a biometric screening setting, like what questions do you have about any of these numbers that I might be able to answer in 15 minutes? We'll see. So much time. (laughs) So much time. Yeah. So, you know, I'm actually curious about um, the running. So, um, because I think that's a very interesting topic. And I think a lot of people, I mean, not even not just with running, but I mean, exercise movement in general, right? Um, But specifically with running, just because that's um, was your experience and the people you met. um, There is a lot of tying of exercise with food. And I'm wondering for you if that's kind of where your starting point was. You were realizing that the running was tied to your food or what you were doing with food, or was it a completely separate entity? What was that like for you? No, they're very intertwined for me. So, um, I started getting into distance running in college. And when I say distance running for me, that means like beyond three to five miles that beyond that felt like really far to me. Um, and I, I had a roommate, who I think did a marathon. Now I'm like so far out. I can't remember if that's what it was. (laughs) I'm pretty sure it was a marathon. And I was like, "Mm, I don't want to run that far, but a half marathon feels pretty doable. I don't know, 13 miles. Like it sounds far, but it sounds a lot less far than 26 miles. So I decided to train for a half marathon my senior year of college. And, you know, I'm in my late stages of nutrition education. I'm getting ready to go into my internship all of those things. And I had started to do some work for myself of like, "Mm, I'm not sure that my behaviors with food feel healthy anymore. Like they feel, you know, they kind of felt like all consuming. Like I couldn't think about other things. I couldn't focus as much when I wanted to study because my brain was just thinking about like calories and food and things like that. And so it started to feel not good anymore. And I took on this idea that I was going to train for a half marathon And I remember the first long run that I did was I just wanted to see if I could run for an hour and it was in the winter in Pennsylvania. (laughs) So I was like really (laughs) delaying. I'm like, I don't want to go outside. So I'm just going to delay, delay, delay all morning long. And I thought like, well, there's no way that I'll be able to do this if I don't eat enough, whatever enough might mean, right? Like that's subjective, but I had this idea or I had this thought that like, 
okay, if you really want to do this thing, like you have to honor what it means for your body to do it and what your body needs in order to make that happen. And that just really was like the shift for me. Like I just went into this mode of like, oh, if I want to do things that are interesting to me and maybe somewhat challenging physically, and if I'm able to do them, I got to do my part and use what I know about nutrition to make sure that my body has what it needs in order to make that happen. So for me, running was definitely a part of the process that helped me think about food and body and nutrition differently. And when I moved to DC and got my first job, running then became the way that I made a lot of friends. Like I went to running groups and I went to happy hours after running groups. And it was just like, oh, this is like a fun way to meet people and to see the city. And then running became the way that I got connected to my business partner for lane nine. And I just feel like it's one of those, I think sports in general, like insert whatever sport you love Mm -hmm. um, or is really fun for you. I know running is not fun for everybody, but I just feel lucky that I found a community of people that made it really fun and had a pretty like low key attitude about it. I know that's not true for every running group. So I think I, I lucked out a little bit, but it was mostly people who were like, yeah, sure. Let's run for a few miles and then let's go get dinner together or let's Mm -hmm. go get brunch or something like it was a thing we all enjoyed that led to another thing we all enjoyed instead of it being like, you know, I was never in a highly competitive running environment where all of us were sub elite or chasing like really quote unquote fast times where it was like, no, we have to do this exact workout at this exact pace or else it's like not worth it. That was not the group that I was in. <laughs> um, so I just, yeah, I feel like I kind of lucked out and I'm really grateful for the people that I got connected to. And it just helped for me, it helped keep running like front of mind and kept it something that was fun and engaging and like a hobby, you know, a thing that I got to do outside of work that also happened to tie in part of what I did for work. So that was like a win-win for me. Okay. So where does it cross the line? And, you know, I've shared on the podcast for anyone who's listened for a while like I shared my own relationship with running so I mean I could speak yeah. at length for this but your experience of that and mine are like night and day <laughs> right <laughs> but I'm wondering like when you were working with people did you see them cross the line to something else with exercise and running yeah I think a lot of the people I ended up working with I was trying to bring to the other side of the line <laughs> like okay you're over here but let me show you there's this other way if it's of interest to you where it can be fun and enjoyable and like you can still challenge yourself and you can still have big goals and it can still be something that serves you and not something that harms you um I I think part of the reason that it was always more fun for me is I just never saw it as something I was going to be competitive in. Mm -hmm. And so I wasn't drawn to the competitive groups. And I think part of, I think that's a really important piece of what we do with lane nine, because my co-founder Alexis comes from collegiate running, high school running, competitive as an adult. Like she's one of, you know, probably in the top 5% of any race that she does. Like she's objectively fast, certainly faster than I am. And so she's had a really different experience with it, but we both see that like, this can be a thing that's actually like really fun and enjoyable and brings community and connects you to people. And also like bonus helps you feel pretty good, like 
the chemistry of it all actually like makes you feel pretty good most of the time. And so I think part of what we both want is like, we want people to have access to that middle ground where you get to enjoy it and it gets to be fun and you still get to do the thing you love without it turning into a thing that feels harmful to you. Um, and again, a lot of my work was, oh, I like have so much fun with this and we run races on the weekends and we sign up for marathons and like, yes, there's some elements of it that are self-competitive, but not super competitive with like the field. And then there's this, when I started doing work with runners, like, where does it cross that line? I think for a lot of people, it's when it becomes all consuming and it becomes the thing that keeps them from other things they enjoy. So an example of that might be the runner who is like, oh, I signed up for a marathon. That means I can't go out on Friday night with my friends and I can't, if they drink alcohol, like enjoy a drink now and then like, nope, nope. Like it gets used as a tool of control instead of being used as something that they gain joy or fulfillment from. And again, I think that's somewhat subjective. Like, I don't think that you can really clearly define those things of like, what is a like objectively disordered relationship with exercise versus not. Because when you go up in levels of competition, it's tricky to draw that line. I heard a um, professional runner recently say, I think that the interviewer asked them like, if you feel a little bit of pain, like say you have a recurring hamstring issue, like if you feel a little bit of pain, where do you draw the line? Like where, what's the line you draw? Like, I'm not going to go for this run or I'm not going to do this workout. And the, the professional runner, she was like, I feel like it's not fair for me to answer that question because my calculus is different than what I would want someone else's calculus to be, because this is my job, right? Mm -hmm. Like, this is the thing I have to keep doing because it's how I make a living, which is like pretty wild. Um, I mostly worked with what I would call like recreational runners. Like that's how I identify it's something I do for fun. I do it outside of my job most of the time. Um, and if it's something that again is being used as a tool for control, whether that's controlling food, controlling body, controlling social experiences that make somebody uncomfortable, um, then I think there's some room for curiosity. Like, is that a healthy relationship to that activity for you? Mm -hmm. no, that's, and I think that's where people do get confused because if they're in that mentality of I'm training, I need to cut out alcohol. I need to rest more. I need to curtail certain things. So my body's like in prime peak performance, you know, yeah. um, able to do these things. And so it can get, confusing. And, um, yes. you know, I've read a lot of articles of especially female runners in college where it is confusing because a lot of times, and I've heard this, the coaches have oftentimes encouraged them to lose weight, to be faster. And yeah. I'm just wondering, well, how would they know if they have now disordered eating or an eating disorder, or if they're just doing what is quote unquote healthy and needed to, you know, perform? Yeah. Yeah. I think so there were a few collegiate athletes that I worked with. And again, I don't have that experience as an athlete myself. So I feel like that's important to note because there's some like parts of a culture that you know a lot better if you've been in it. But I 
I think where I would draw lines around disordered eating, disordered relationship to food is that preoccupation with food. So it's something they're thinking about all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, they wake up and they feel like, oh, what am I going to eat? Is that enough? Is it too much? Um, for a lot of people who have journaled or used apps or done any kind of calorie counting, it's that kind of constant calculator in their head of like, oh, well, if I eat this, then it's that much. If I eat that, then it's this much. So I'll pick the one that's lower um, versus just going based off of like, oh, this breakfast sounds good. This one doesn't sound as appealing. So I'm going to go with the one that sounds good. Right. Um, so it's a preoccupation with food. It's often what we see often is, um, resistance to certain social activities that would make them exposed to foods that make them anxious or make them nervous, or sometimes what they're called is fear foods, like something that, would be hard for them to eat without ruminating on the fact that they ate it, Um, usually restricting. So intentionally not eating enough, not eating to satiety, not eating when they're hungry, even though their body is giving them that signal, but maybe it's not quote unquote snack time, or it's not a meal time, or they feel like they shouldn't be hungry. Um, It's usually restricting with recommendations for fueling on the run if they're doing endurance activities. So maybe a coach or a dietitian would tell them, hey, you should be eating about X number of calories an hour. And they're like, "Mm, I'll do that minus 50, you know. (laughs) Um, So it's I think you're looking for signs of angst around food, preoccupation with food and food thoughts. Um, a lot of times it's inability to concentrate on other things. Like I mentioned when I was in college, you know, I found like sometimes it was really hard to pay attention in class or to concentrate when I was studying because my brain was kind of like food, you need food. You're not eating enough food. (laughs) It's a like primal response to not having enough energy when we need more. Um, a lot of times with athletes, it's delayed recovery from hard workouts. So they might notice they're feeling sluggish or they're not able to kind of pick it up as much as they might normally be able to. Um, they're feeling really tired at the end of easy runs when normally they wouldn't. Um, and I think the tricky part, especially in collegiate athletics or really high level athletics, is that there is an effect when people lose weight they might get a little bit faster. For a lot of people, that's what happens, right? But it's like a short-term effect of the body not catching up quite to that like calorie deficit and that loss of muscle mass most of the time. And so they initially get faster, but then they keep digging themselves into that hole and they then gradually get slower and can't perform and can't turn on a kick or can't finish a race feeling strong. And so then they're confused because it's like, but I was faster when I was at this weight and when I did all those things. So let me just keep trying to do that and keep trying to get back to that point. Um, So I feel like that is really hard for a lot of athletes to grapple with. And certainly a lot of the work that I've done is like helping people understand Yes, there is that initial effect for a lot of people, not certainly not everybody, but for a lot of people that I've talked to, like, yeah, I did get faster until I didn't, Mm -hmm. until I couldn't recover from workouts and I couldn't sleep very well. And I was always thinking about food and, um, and then it just led to injury or it led to chronic fatigue or it led to lack of period or all of the above. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I think also part of the issue within more recreational communities with running is we have 
especially now we have so much access to what professional runners do. And there's a really easy trap to fall into of if this person does it, I should do it too. Mm-hmm. Right? Like if this person eats the thing, I should eat the thing. If they do this kind of warm up, I should do that kind of warm up. If they run this many miles a week, I should run that many miles a week. Even though like logically many of us understand mm-hmm. we are not professional runners, but it's just we have so much information like literally in our hands that seeks mm-hmm. seeps into our psyche and kind of tells us like, well, if this runner does it, like you'll be faster if you do it too. So I'm actually curious. So in, uh, it's an online community you have. Um, so what are the type of topics or how, do, how does it work? Do people meet at a certain time and bring up a topic mm-hmm. per week or what kind of conversations are going on in the community? Yeah. So um, there are a lot of questions around like, how are people doing with certain times of the year. So we certainly have seasons where like diet culture or thoughts of food might pop up more than others. Mm -hmm. Um, There might be people seeking support through an injury, like, Hey, I'm actually not able to do the movement that I really want to do right now. And I just like need to put that out there. I need to get it out of my own brain and like put it into this group for people who I know understand, or maybe someone's gearing up for a race and they're starting to get anxious about the race and they want some support around that. So it's kind of a lot of the things you would see probably in any running group, but without the question of whether or not someone might pop in and be like, oh, well, if you just cut out these five things, Mm -hmm. or if you just stop doing this, like you'll reach your goals. No problem. (laughs) You know, like we see that a lot in other spaces. Um, And what we noticed initially when we opened lane nine up was, and we didn't intend to do this initially, we shared our own story. So there were three of us who started it and the common thread between the three of us was we had all experienced hypothalamic amenorrhea, which is a loss of menstrual cycles post-puberty. So either they're irregular or for amenorrhea, it's, I think it's three months without a cycle. And for all of us, like our coaches, doctors, peers, like nobody really noticed that as a problem. If they knew it was happening, it was sort of like, oh, well, that happens to runners or like, yep, that just happens sometimes instead of like, oh, that's a sign from your body that like it's not doing what it should be doing. Um, And so we shared our stories through, I think we started on Medium, now it's on Substack. But um, once we did that, the number of people who reached out saying like, hey, can I write an essay for lane nine? Or hey, can I share my story? And we were like, oh, People are kind of like looking for a place to do that. So we'll open that up. So we have like the bulk of our content is really other people wanting to speak about their own experiences. And again, it's everyone from like, I ran competitively in high school and college, and now I'm trying to figure out how to do it for fun as an adult (laughs) to Mm -hmm. like, I still run competitively as adult to I just got into running as an adult and I'm trying to figure out what that means or how to like hold my boundaries in different running groups or different spaces that I'm in. Um, it like really, the experiences are really vast, which I think is really fascinating. Okay. Yeah. That, I mean, that is, it's like, um, I think it can get confusing too. Um, you know, (laughs) and I'm wondering if it ever comes up that people say it's kind of like their identity too. Like, Oh yeah. A hundred percent. Like they don't know how to not be a runner or how to not like hold that, I guess, um, like maybe they want to stop running, but they don't know how to, (laughs) how to do that. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, I like we are wired, most like humans are wired to seek community, to seek belonging, to seek like connection with another person, right? So what we see happen a lot, and again, like this could be true in any sport, but running is just the one that I happen to be more involved with as an adult is like you go to a running group or maybe you go to a race and you notice like, oh, a lot of people are doing this thing. They're not eating this type of food. They're not drinking alcohol. They're not uh, as a form of restriction instead of a form of just like, that's important to me. I don't drink alcohol or they're not eating carbs or they're eating a lot of carbs or like whatever the thing mm-hmm. is. Um, and I think we're wired very much to be like, oh, in this community, that's what we do. Mm-hmm. And if I'm a runner, that's what I do. And so, again, when I say, like, I feel like I got really lucky with the group that I was initially introduced to in D.C. because it just was none of that, Mm -hmm. like none of it. And that's that's actually really rare. Yeah. Yeah. I've gone to other groups where it's like as soon as you start running, like, oh, what diet do you follow? Or, oh, like what? How many miles a week are you doing? And it's just like, that's just what a lot of people do and then you kind of perform to be in the community right to like oh is that part of this identity as a runner that we run a certain number of miles a week and we train a certain way and we eat a certain way and we um follow all the rules right mm-hmm. and like sometimes you're doing that before you even realize that you're doing it and so it can be kind of hard to like take a step back and say like oh d- do any of these things actually serve me or work for me? Or am I just kind of like going with the flow right now? And then being curious about, okay, here's this like group of behaviors that I've adopted as a runner or as an athlete or whatever, which ones work for me and which ones don't. And being okay with like taking what works and leaving what doesn't. Yeah, I think there is a lot of identity wrapped up in that. I think that's a great point to bring up because I mean, I remember when I joined a running group, I was like, okay, I have this goal. I joined with a friend and was like, okay, we're going to run a marathon. And I didn't even, thinking back now, I didn't even question like what I took on. Like we were just told, <laughs> we're going to follow this like training program. You're going to run this many miles a week. You're going to eat this way. You're going to, we're going to put you into groups based on how fast you run. And it was like, you know, we're in the, we're categorized, right? And like we had to keep up. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, oh, yeah, I never even questioned. It was just like, okay, these are the experts. They're going to tell us how to get from this day one to finishing the marathon. And yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, why wouldn't you think like, okay, this is the way to go. These are, this is the group I'm joining. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And I think there's sort of like this unofficial rule in running that like, you're supposed to always want to be faster. Mm -hmm. Like whatever you do, like anything at any cost. I mean, not I shouldn't be too general. There's certainly lots of people who don't feel that way, but I think a lot of folks who are newer to running or are still figuring out their identity in running, it's like, oh, you're quote unquote better if you're faster. So then like, well, if I do this thing or I run with this pace group or I run this many miles or I eat this way, then like I will be faster and anything to be faster, you know? And I mean, I even hear it in like podcast interviews of coaches like, oh, so-and-so ran a certain number of time marathons. So as if that like qualifies them, right. Versus like anybody can be a coach. Like plenty of collegiate coaches have like no notable running accomplishments, (laughs) but they're still good coaches. You know, there's also some bad coaches, but 
I think a lot of the space, like what you just described is certainly, and I don't know if this was true for your group, but I do feel like a lot of people kind of fall into this trap of like, oh, now that I'm in this running community and we're training for this thing, I'm supposed to do whatever it takes to be faster instead of just like, maybe I'm just supposed to be here and have fun and see what that feels like. And if I want to be faster, great. Like I'm all for goals and challenging yourself, but it doesn't just have to be that, right? I love that you put up the word fun. I think that is lost in exercise and movement. And yeah, yeah like why else join a community and do this? If it's not fun, what is happening? Right. Yeah. Right? And I mean, like full disclosure, when I joined this group in DC, they were all like, we're signing up for spring marathon. And I was like, well, that doesn't sound fun, but I guess if we're all doing it <laughs> and it wasn't fun, I did not have fun with that marathon or the training. Well, the training was kind of fun because we did it as a group. Like I, I was like, well, if everyone's going to be doing these long runs on the weekend, then I guess I'll also do these long runs on the weekend. And then if I'm doing these long runs on the weekend, I might as well do the marathon, but the marathon was not fun. And I ended up doing more of them just to see if it is actually possible to have fun in a marathon. And I think, I think that it is, but it's really tricky. Not my favorite distance. No, it's not. It's really tough. Well, maybe some people out there are like, yes, they are. Good. Yeah. I'm, what fun for whoever is fun for. Great. Right. It's all relative. Yeah. It's not fun for me. <laughs> so, I mean, if anyone's out there listening and they're like, okay, I want to know more about this community. I'd love to like mm. be involved. Um, maybe yeah. people are even questioning, like, I don't even know now after listening. Am I to having this, fun? Like, I don't. Am I having fun? Am I disordered? Am I not? Like, what's happening? Um, yeah. Is this a community yeah. that can help them get support and figure that out a little bit? Yeah, totally. So, um, our Substack is lane9project.substack.com. Our website is lane9project.org. Um, Lane Nine Project on Instagram. We're pretty easy to find, and yeah, we also are doing some work with coaches and. Um, teams. So trying to help kind of shift the culture within teams and what is considered, you know, normal and healthy and what's not. I think a lot of the norms and the coaching environment can be really tricky too. So um, whether that resonates with you and you're curious to learn more or you're a runner out there trying to have a little fun and <laughs> wondering if that's possible, um, we'd love to have you. Awesome. Um Heather, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. All that will be in the show notes. So Great. yeah, love, love that you're here. I know you had your own podcast, so. Yeah, <laughs> I know how it goes. Yeah, yeah thanks so much for having me. All right, thank you. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is given with the understanding that neither the host, the publisher, or the guests are rendering legal, accounting, clinical, or any other professional information. If you want a professional, you should find one.